In episode 9.4 of Unshuffled, we discuss the fourth and final album from The Runaways. It's called And Now. Let's get into it. Welcome to Unshuffled, welcome back to our regular listeners and a big welcome to all our new listeners around the world. I'm your host Matt and joining me as he always does from the other side of Eurasia, I'm in Portugal and Scotty D is in Japan, how are you Scott? Good, konnichiwa Matt, listeners. And um, oh my god. Have I forgotten how to say hello in Portuguese? Hola! <laughs> but it's hola without the H, right? Yeah, there's no H. Yeah. Just hola. Hola. Um, so, yeah, hola to you and uh, to all our listeners. Um, we're on Shuffle. And uh, if you haven't caught us before, well, welcome. We're bringing back the album. We're hoping to, anyway. Trying. Doing our best. Some might say we're uh, we're fighting a losing battle, but we're going to keep fighting it. You know, the tide will turn eventually, surely, because albums are the best way to listen to music. We're doing it band by band, album by album. Our current band is called The Runaways. Very famous, seminal, some might say, a rock band from the late 70s. It's, it was the launch pad of many great careers and uh, hopefully you've been following us as we've tracked through the first three albums of the runaways we're on to their fourth album and final as it turns out today and uh scott's going to tell us all the details as he always does of their fourth album called and now take it away all right let's get into this so this album was released December 16th of 1978. This is, I think, the longest that they've gone between records, right? The last one was almost over, over a year ago, October 7th of 77. Um, I think the first three all came in like six months or like six months in between each. The, this one is produced by John Alcock. He is new, right? Kim Fowley did one, and then we had... Uh, that other guy that did another one. Mankey. Mankey. There he is, Earl Mankey. Um, so now we're running John Alcock. And this is, John Alcock is somewhat controversial because it seems, the story is, is that he either did fire or tried to fire Joan Jett in the recording process. Um, and I think that comes out. Anyway, we'll talk about that as we go through. Which I uh, find great. It's like taking over the Golden State Warriors and saying, you know who's got to go? Steph Curry. Get him out. Right. Well, how do you bring in the producer of the fourth album decides to fire one of the main songwriters and lead singers? Like, how how does how does the fourth producer have that power, or the third producer? I guess um, we're still on Mercury, and this one was recorded in Hollywood at Rusk Sound. Uh, the lineup once again has changed a little bit. We've got Joan Jett on vocals and guitar, um, Lita Ford on guitar and bass. 
and then Sandy West on drums. There is Vicky Blue is credited, but she didn't actually play on the album. Lita Ford did. And I think this is now what the third instance of the credited bass player not actually being the bass player who played. Yeah. At least it was and a then, band member this time. Right. Right. They didn't uh, just call somebody in. Um, and then I'm going to actually, uh, let's go straight to the artwork on this because I know you have some in- interesting information, but the artwork itself is I, what I'm curious about. And I couldn't find anything is, is if I'm reading too much into it, but the, the, the photo of the version that we have, if we're calling our version and now the runaways, uh, yeah. is seems like a photo photo from happier times. It definitely yeah. doesn't seem like a photo of, of, of the band who, for all intents and purposes, seemingly broke up before the album was ever even released. There's, and I'm just wondering, is there like, they're all smiling. Uh, half of them are in white, half of them are in black. Um, somewhat curious if there's, you know, how was it determined who wore white, who wore black? If there's any symbolism behind that. So there's two album covers, right? Because there's two releases. There's the one version, which I think, and now the Runaways is the US version or is that the UK version? Uh, so, it, the UK was, and now the runaways. Lost, and then Little Lost Girls was the other. Yeah. And Little yeah. Lost Girls has them looking a little bit more dour and surly. Um, yeah. But I think Rock and roll. Vicky, Vicky Blue is in both of them, despite the fact uh, that she's not playing. Um, now, the photographer, we kind of brushed over. We, ah, who cares? It's just the photographer on the last album you know just look him up yourself listen i think i said well i did go and look him up after that episode and it turns out we we did miss a trick but thankfully he's back here barry levine is the photographer on this album as he was on the previous one with, you know with the barbed wire turns out he uh he went on to have a career in as a film producer and um i don't know if you remember the tom cruise science fiction film oblivion you seen it? No, no, I don't think so. Uh, it's not bad. Yeah. You know, when Tom Cruise was doing those sort of good science fiction things, I mean, um, he did a couple in the around 2010, and this was a huge film, multi-million dollar blockbuster, and, and he was the, the producer of that. So, um, huh. just an interesting fact, you know. <laughs> um, a very famous photographer in his own right back in the day, and then went on to do film and and, and made it big time. Um, so there you go. So you're saying don't we, say we, we don't come with the facts on this, on this, uh, on this podcast. All right. Well, so I guess listeners, we tried out a new format last time. We did. And uh, it worked. I, I did. vote for it worked. <laughs> All right. Me too. Uh, we're the only two that listen to this, so exactly. <laughs> so 100%. it's unanimous, listeners. It worked. <laughs> um, do you want to explain it? Uh, it's pretty simple. There's, we now have four. Rather than going through every track, we just pick four according to certain categories. So we're gonna we're both gonna discuss the opener, and then we're gonna pick our favorite track, the tr- the track that growed on us, and the one that we might think was closest to filler not that we like to be too negative on this show but we're going to try and identify if there is any filler on the albums that we listen to or anything approaching filler uh, and then we'll 
finish off with it, just mentioning a couple of other observations and, and uh, mo- standout moments and so on from the album. But yeah, that's the they're the four tracks we're going to cover: the opener, the killer, the grower, and the filler. So let's kick it off by starting with the opener, the very first song on the album. So talk us through it, Scott. Yeah. All right. Um, so the opener of this album is Saturday Night Special. I <laughs> it was a part of me that was kind of hoping it was going to be the Leonard Skinnerd Saturday Night Special. It wasn't. I thought. It, um, yeah, I honestly thought it might be, and I. So when I Googled Saturday Night Special, knowing there were so many covers on this album, I thought, oh, Leonard Skinner did that. I don't I yeah. know the Leonard Skinner version, but uh, um, it, but it's uh, not that. It's not that. Um, so it, it was not written by any member of the band. I, I can't find anything that suggests it was written for anyone other than the Runaways, um, but it was written by Earl Slick, who also worked with David Bowie and John Lennon, and Tony O'Kay, who worked with Bonnie Raitt, Chicago, Burt Bacharach. I don't know if this is just one of those tracks that was floating around out there and they grabbed it and said, let's do it, or if it was written specifically for them. Anyway, it's okay. I think that, like, track two, or not track two, sorry, uh, track three would have been a better opener, but they didn't write. I mean, Mama, We're All Crazy Now is a, del- is a, is a cover, and I suppose you don't want to start your album off with a, with a cover. Um, but uh, it's got a nice opening drum bit that sort of goes into the riff and a lead lick. It's fine. But as far as openers go, I mean, they started with cherry bomb. And so it's, it's really hard to get better than cherry bomb as an opening, as an opening track. The first two though, the first two albums had solid, solid openers. And this one is better than the opener of the last album. Right, I didn't. This is better than uh, Little Sister. Yeah, I I quite like this actually. I, I thought Saturday Night Special was pretty damn good. The, there's always something that you know when you first the, the first thing on any album is something that usually that sort of jumps out. If you may, it was how heavy, how bass heavy the mix was, and knowing that that's Lita Ford's um, bass work sort of. Maybe that's an explanation. I don't know. I, there's nothing wrong with that. You're a bass player yourself. You're probably quite happy to hear it. Um, so, yeah, the really bass-heavy mix and a super catchy chorus. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty straightforward rock song. There's nothing fancy about it, but it does rock. I, I really quite like this as a classic runaway-sounding song, and I especially love the um, the bit towards the end, the yeah, 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 Saturday night. I mean, that's sort of good time it, everyone loves saturday night mm. except shift workers i suppose but uh, everyone else does and and uh, there's always a, a good feeling on on saturday night everyone's in a good mood so i thought this captured it really well that uh, that yeah 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 a bit um so good fun good a good party song and and uh, classic runaway sound i thought so happy with that as an opener the next category we're going to discuss is the best track on the album the killer if you like this was that actually that opener was in the running for me I, I, that was one of my favorites on the album but it's not the one i chose the my absolute favorite was the bookend the, at the other end uh the last track on the album black leather oh that's mine 
Hello. All right. Well, we can both talk about all black right, all right. leather. Do it. Yeah, you go first. Well, we don't have to go through track by track, and I, for the anymore, and and probably for the first time with this album, I'd say, thankfully, because I didn't enjoy this album mm. much at all, and, and I mean, this it was a interesting album as a study of a band in their death throws you know like this they broke up after this they'd already been shedding members they were their producer was trying to get rid of their their um you know their talismanic lead singer so i mean this band was clearly in decline and um you know on the on the way out so as a as a study of a band in that at, at that phase of their career arc i thought it was interesting but not good like it wasn't a good album there was a, a lot of weak tracks on it and we'll talk we'll get to um, you know one or two of those when we talk about the filler but to that point i mean they the band itself only wrote half of the album yeah right half of the album were written by other people yeah which is yeah but i think that says something in, in itself i'm you know just like as sort of capturing the idea of the band sort of in the death rows. Yeah, no, yeah. I agree. Yeah. But then just at the just as you're sort of ready to give up on the album, you get this one last reminder of all the great stuff we've heard over the first two albums in particular. And there were still hints of it on the previous album as well. And then just at the end we get this reminder of just the sort of fury of of the runaways and joan jett who i have to say her vocals were really she was really struggling we pointed out on the last album as well and there were, there were many times on this where she just didn't seem to be finding her voice and the voice that we all know she found in her solo career she was sort of searching for it but i then just on this last track on this album i thought yeah that's the joan jett we know where she's really pushing her voice into overdrive. It's probably the most metal sounding song on the album. Um, it's got this sort of double track leader Ford guitars, which give it a bit of extra teeth. And it, it's a really sort of metal energetic riff throughout. So just in terms of uh, bringing us back and reminding us of, of how great these individual members are and, and hearing Joan Jett finally sort of click into gear just on the way, just as the band's on the way out, I thought was uh, was a, a nice a nice way to finish their, their four-album uh, four run. No, I, I agree. So this track was written by Steve Jones and Paul Cook. I don't think that this, I thought, I can't find where I wrote it down. I think it was written for like a side project that they were going to do, or maybe like a post Sex Pistols things that they were going to do together. And then it ended up, the Runaways ended up recording it. I'm not entirely sure how that worked out. But Joan Jett, again, vocals, and that was the one thing that I commented on, is that it, it brings back the Joan Jett snarl. And it's got this really kind of cool stoner, 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 <laughs> stoner groove feel to it. Um, it's it's got that fuzzed out guitar fill between the verse and the chorus. 
uh, it has the lasers, which brought me back to Atomic Bitchwax. <laughs> like the, the opener had a total Atomic Bitchwax feel for me. So I think, honestly, this song could have gone anywhere and done anything. They had me at the lasers. Yeah. <laughs> it was That was it. Say no more. I'm in. Yeah. And the minute they kicked up the fuzz. But yeah, no, this is this this is just a cool track and kind of a, a you know what, if you're going to end your career, a cool track to end your career on like this would if I was to make a compilation of my favorite runaways songs, this would hands down be on it. Yeah, yeah, me, me too, for sure. There we go. Nice. I like it when we agree on stuff, too. Yeah, yeah let's see. How, let's see if we this keeps going. Okay, so what you what you grow then? My grower is um, actually going to come up in two categories that right. are going to seemingly contradict one another. But hang <laughs> okay, on. well, there's only two categories left, so it's uh, not hard to guess. Uh, but... The uh, so my grower is eight days a week. Wow. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. And the and it's just quite because the more I listen to it, the more it grows on me. Uh, <laughs> They, they sort of slowed it down. They've made it this mournful song, almost sort of about a loss. There's the, the, the drum intro coming in, is, and they change that up. There's the, the keyboard on the melody. The bass does these end runs. It has like this bounce to it while being kind of more mournful than celebratory. I mean, I have some sort of inquiry-based... Well, I'll get to that later. It'll, it'll, it'll come up again. I'll talk more about it in my next category. <laughs> All right. I would not have, uh, would not have expected that one. Um, that was a, I thought that was a startlingly strange choice for a cover song. Um, and I, yeah, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. It never grew on me. Um, other than the, I like the little organy touch. I guess it's sort of a, yeah. almost had a Hammondy. Well, and that's where I forgot. Actually, forgot to. I was. I should have credited that guy when we were talking about his name's Dwayne Hitchings. Right. And he did the key. I should have credited him back when I was given the lineup. But mm. uh, yeah, he does a lot of the keys, the keyboard stuff. Oh, maybe you can give him a Brownlow vote. Yeah. You'll have to stay tuned, listener. <laughs> Does Hitchings make it into Scott's Brownlow votes? Um, okay. Well, that uh, that's an interesting choice for a grower. Uh, my grower... See, the thing is with the grower is it's got to be a song that obviously that you don't think much of the first time you hear, or usually, because it's got to have room to grow, right? Yep, that, that's... It, that this song fits that definition for me. <laughs> yes. So the song that fits that definition for me was the leader Ford penned "I'm a Million," which this is this sort of plodding, bluesy riff, which doesn't instantly grab you. And again, with leader Ford, some awful vocals, and uh, well, you'll hear more about them later in the in the. Uh, when we talk about some of the notable lyrics. And I don't really know what it's about. Like, so, okay, so it's all criticism at this point. I don't know. I think I'm a million. Is it? Is it a sort of song about multiplicity? Is that? Is that what it means? Like I'm lots of different people? Or is it... Is she, I, I, I think as we learned last album with Lita Ford's lyrics, it's probably best not to overthink them. 
I'll probably just leave it at that. It, the lyrics are terrible, but the more I listened to it, I really started to like that plodding, bluesy riff throughout it and the little touches and embellishments that she puts on it just to sort of um, change it up as it as it's going through. So she, I, I really liked her, her musicianship on it. Um, and yeah, it grew on me. It grew on me. So, and then you sort of once you the shock of how bad the lyrics are pass passes, you, you start to sort of that's oh, all right. I don't mind it. I don't mind. I'm a minion. So that was my grower. Uh, what do we got now? Filler. Filler. Now this was a tough category on this album. I got to say. What was your filler? You want me to start it? Yeah, start. All right. Um, mine was right now. And I feel bad saying this because it's Sandy West's only contribution. Ever. Uh, yeah. And it was the song, the story goes, is the song was literally filler. It was written and performed after Joan Jett was seemingly fired or phased out of the band. And they needed like a couple more songs to fill this out. And so Sandy West, as I understand it, and so this is this is Sandy West. You know, she came to the table to to fill in the void. But I don't like it. First off, this is why Dwayne Hitchings, by the way, is not going to make my brown low. The part of the, what drives me crazy is the that baseball stadium organ that sounds like a yeah, yeah. that's sort of just driving the song and holding down the back end. This song is just I I can't really say much about it because I skip over it. A lot. Yeah, I found this. It's so odd and at odds with everything that they've done and everything we've come to associate with this, you know, this powerful rock band. And then you've got this. What I don't even. If you're putting Runaways aside, like what genre is this song? It's like, is it pop? I guess it's like a pop song. Baseball stadium, Oregon rock. Yeah, it's like there's, is that a genre? there's a kind of Gary Newman kind of electronic <laughs> keyboardy stuff. I don't know. It's it, it feels like pop to me. Very odd, very odd, and um, yeah, completely jarringly out of place. So, to me, filler. To me, it's almost too bad to be filler. If you know what I mean, like filler's kind of the my interpretation of filler is kind of the one that. It just sort of blends into the background, like, and there's a few on this, but um, yeah, just as we got into, we got past the sort of covers, you know, there's two covers, Eight Days a Week, Mama, We're All Crazy Now, which is, a gr- I really like the Slade cover, by the way. Mm, I do Mama, too. We're All Crazy Now. And then the Lita Ford growing the sort of bluesy ballad, and then right now, which is just weird. And then to me, the filler really starts up with Takeover. And my buddy and me, which I think some people like, but I certainly didn't. And Little Lost Girl, this is just, at this point of the album, I'm, I'm just, oh, please. We've got Paul Bearer next. I really want to get to Paul Bearer at this point. Um, so I'm just, I'll nominate Takeover, but really it's this sort of second half of the album stretch before the, like, finally we get Black Leather at the end to sort of redeem it all. But um, Takeover's just a strange, like, the lyrics, I guess if you want, uh, my wife teaches Cold War history, and um, we were discussing it the other day. Actually, sort of pop Careful culture. Here. You're, about ready to, you're about ready to step on my notable lyrics. 
<laughs> well, yeah, tread tread lightly. Stay in your lane. Yeah. All right. Well, it's just like there's some pop culture markers about the paranoia surrounding the Cold War in the early '80s, and I would say the high water mark of that was probably like Rocky Four. Mm, classic. And um, you know, there's some action films, but I think like just in terms of pure. U.S. propaganda and, and sort of anti-Soviet. You got Rocky Four, but and but there are a whole bunch of other things. And I would put this in my exhibits. You know, if I was having a a, a museum exhibition, I mean, the, the lyrics of this are um, well. I'll leave them for you to discuss. I think in the notable lyrics, um, but they're distractingly paranoid about uh, about the Soviets or the Russians, as she calls them. Um, there, there's actually a, a rock song there, but it's it's kind of hidden behind all those banal lyrics. And, yeah, like it, the album as a whole was becoming a tough listen at that point, and it didn't get any easier for the next few tracks. So um, filler, there, there was plenty of filler on this, but uh, I've nominated Takeover as, as mine. Um on most fillery <laughs> the fillers. Uh, I hate being negative about albums, but I think yeah. I, I don't think we'd be the only ones in the world who've kind of pointed out the and, and we've got to be honest, right? We can't sit here and say what a great album. Um when it is obviously a band that's just about to break up and, and um Or yeah. seemingly did. Like I think they yes. did. I think or they kind were of broke up, up mid album or yeah. Um, so, uh, you know. Um. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that Which was my filler. Our... One, <laughs> one filler among many. Standout moment. Now, now we're going to be positive again. Takes us to mm. our standout moment. Yep. Do you want to start this one or do you want? Yeah, for me, it's uh, the last little bit. The yeah, 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 Saturday night. I spoke about it in the opening. Just that... Uh, mm. Fist bump and yeah, it's Saturday night. That moment for me was, uh, you know, next time I'm out on a Saturday night and I've got uh, young kids, so that may not be for about uh, ten years or so. But I'll be, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll be punching the air, singing along to that one. For me, and I haven't had enough, that's the one thing about this new format. I haven't had enough of a chance to sort of go on about Lita Ford's bass playing that she yeah. brings to the table um mm. like so many whenever you hear a guitar player pick up the bass and they play it like a guitar it just loses its soul right all of a sudden it's just like all right you're just playing a, a deeper guitar i don't know i mean it's just <laughs> if she doesn't do that and 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 in little so there's I want to talk about two things about Little Lost Girls. I didn't particularly like the song Little Lost Girls, but the bass on the song is funky, right? And so uh, Lita Ford brings this funk to which is not typical of a metal guitar player's approach to bass. So that was I think notable. Um, she brings kind of the funk to Little Lost Girls, but the, that's not even my standout moment. That's leading up to my standout moment. My standout moment, and I guess maybe I go back to Dwayne Hitchings on this, is the synth slash guitar slash laser solo 
in in Little Lost Girls. Yes. That, yes. It reminds me of you remember that song Argent Hold Your Head Up? G- Google it. It reminds me of that, which is a badass song, which is a cool song from like five years earlier. This sort of this kind of cool synth laser solo, this was my first sort of hang on a tick. Atomic Bitchwax moment, which leads us into um, Black Leather and yeah. then kicks off with kind of the, more of that stoner groove. Yeah. And so maybe either A, my uh, killer is the last half of Little Lost Girls leading into Black Leather <laughs> or sort of this is my this is my standout moment. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, um, I mean, the, the sort of guitar based... 70s rock bands were getting synthy at this point so I, I don't think it was out of you know i don't think it was unusual like you think of the sort of later led zeppelin albums yeah oh this is what 78 i mean this would have been around the time of all of my love right yeah so yeah i guess the, i guess they did what the other bands at the time and even um you know even a band like sabbath had its synthy moments um so yeah, I guess that's what they were doing in studios. Rock bands were doing in studios at the time. But yeah, it was it was notable, um, and, and um, well identified. It was uh, <laughs> it was amazing. Well picked. Yeah. I like your choice. Yeah, thank you. Okay, uh, so our next category is what were they thinking? All right. So this is where I come back. You're going to take eight it days a week. So I come back to eight days a week. Okay. Uh, this is that moment of, so when I first, when I saw this, there was that moment of, wait, what? <laughs> Why are you doing this song? <laughs> and, but as I thought about it, so th- that was my first thought. My first thought, I was, I was immediately, I was against this song just based on principle. And then the fact that they were changing it like that, it almost felt sacrilegious of you're going to make the Beatles song better, right? And, but then, as that was the part that, so it was just playing, kids' family was all out doing something. I had this thing blasting on my, my Sonos speakers, and this song came up again, and I was just like, ah, oh, wait, all right. I think I get this. I think I get this. And that was where it became, that was where I realized that, that this is a grower on me. Um, and without changing any of the lyrics, they completely changed the mood and the meaning. And it's kind of genius. Anyway, it's not sacrilegious because it's the same thing with Shakespeare. Hear me out. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead, English teacher. <laughs> Shakespeare didn't become like this untouchable thing until somewhere around the 1800s, right? With the, the English university system and locking all that down and this, that, and the other thing, right? Creating the canon. So Shakespeare's works were like knocking around out there for 150, 200 years just as another guy, right? He was whatever. And, um, and then it was kind of around the creation of the canon that he sort of became seen as this untouchable kind of thing. The Beatles had just been broke. They'd been broken up for eight years at this point. I saw this interview with Giles Martin, and he was talking about how growing up, his dad, George Martin, the producer of the Beatles, was still having to 
go find work. It's not like he was able to just rest on his laurels of having been the Beatles producer for 10 years. And so I don't think the Beatles didn't really become untouchable until, as I understand it, until like the 80s. Right. It was really kind of around the 80s when their music started being put into CDs, when that Beatles documentary, that huge, massive documentary came out, that the the Beatles explosion just kind of took this whole other leap into sort of this stratosphere that we now know it as. And so when they were doing this cover, it, it, I don't think I don't know that it was as controversial, controversial is not the right word, but it wasn't as sort of jarring you know what I'm saying? Like when it came out yeah. in 78, not as jarring as it is to see, wait, the Runaways did a Beatles cover? Mm. To see now. Anyway, what were they thinking was my original thought when I heard this. <laughs> All right. Did I meander? No, no, it was interesting. It was good. I like <laughs> it when you get into uh, teacher mode. Um, just, I'm just hoping there's no test on this <laughs> at the end. Uh, my what were they thinking moment is uh, I'll, I'll be much briefer. I've done mine in, in three words, and it's basically the same as yours. My what were they thinking was covering the Beatles. <laughs> so there you go. Um, notable lyrics. Uh, go, you go. I think I know what well, you're going to say, right? Yeah, I'm starting. I'm going to go with Takeover. Mm. Um, are there any, like, can we read the lyrics? Like, I know we can't uh, play the music. Yeah, read them. Okay. Well, who's going to sue us, Joan um, Jett? Well, for reading yes, the lyrics me, on the podcast that I listen to. Um, I think the, the Russians so, got a weather machine. See, you got to stop right there. I think that's like so many seconds in. We're gonna have to that house you're gonna buy <laughs> going to be owned by Mercury Records. Um, so the part where that's it, actually, that's that's where the lyrics that I want to talk about start. I think the Russians got a weather machine uh, planning a takeover scheme, buried New York, drowned L.A. Um, anyway, it goes on. I know the Russians are behind this shit. Is she blaming climate change on the Russians? Well, I don't think climate change was widely. I, it wasn't maybe, a thing yet, but I think maybe one or two scientists had identified it, but no one was talking. about Right, it. right. But she's there's a there's a definite anyway the the yeah the it, and there is sort of I don't know if it's jumping on a sort of like grabbing a cultural zeitgeist I don't know if we were collectively I guess we were the, the U.S. had been kind of blaming the Russians since the 1950s um, but you were right in what you were talking about earlier it really kind of came to a head with uh, I think Rocky mm. Four. <laughs> uh, yeah, take over. I mean, those lyrics were bad, but I think. There was worse, and uh, I think Lita Ford, when, um, <laughs> when she penned the lyrics to I'm a Million, took the cake, as we say, um, and the one, I mean, there's the whole song, the lyrics of the whole song are terrible, Not maybe not quite trash can murders level of bad, but seen you before, but you're making me sore uh, was the worst lyric on the album, I thought. Um, and, and that whole song was, was pretty bad. So, uh, And I really like the song. As I said, it grew on me. But uh, the lyrics, man, man, oh, man. I, I didn't really follow Lita's solo career. I know the big hits, but uh, did she improve as a lyricist? 
I didn't really follow Lita Ford's solo career either. Right. Come on, baby, kiss me deadly. Yeah, so that's sort of the one I know. Yeah. And I, you know, it doesn't have standout lyrics either. No. Um, went to a party on a Saturday night. Didn't get laid, got into a fight. Got into a fight, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> okay, maybe she didn't improve. <laughs> great uh, great guitarist, though. Great and great bass players. We found out on this Great album. bass well, player, turns out. Well pointed out. Yeah. Um, I mean, they should have put on drums, too. Um, but, um, yeah, we're done. Well, we're done with the Runaways. We still need to do the brown, band Brownlow on this album, though, and then we'll wrap things up. So uh, you want to talk quickly through your... Now, do we... The question with the band Brownlow is, do we count the bass player and the guitarist as two separate entities when issuing... I did... See, I did not because right. I gave it to the person. Right. Okay, I'll do And I same. gave it to the person based on her double duty. All right. I'll do the same then. All right, you go first then, and I'll I'll uh, reshuffle my my. All right, my uh, my one vote goes to Sandy West. Mm-hmm. Uh, great drums on this album, yep. and I do. Even though I called her track the filler, I give her credit. She, she had to step up and throw down a jam, and she did it. Yep. Um, I said round this thing out, Sandy, and she's like, "I got you." Um, so I gave her my one vote. Mm-hmm. My two votes goes to Lita Ford for doing her double duty, bass and guitars. And my three vote goes to Joan Jett. And it for A, her snarl comes back, which I felt was missing on the last album. It's come back. I think we hear it at least in two songs on this album. And, uh, and then the fact that just, I don't know, giving her the victory for having been fired, <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah. So I give her the win there. Right. Uh, and then I had, I guess I did have an asterisk next to Dwayne Hitchings as an honorable mention. <laughs> yeah. Way to go, Dwayne! <laughs> All right. So I'll go th- uh, one vote. So the third best performance, uh, similar order to you. I might just swap the top two. So I'll go Sandy West, one vote. Uh, Joan Jett, two votes for the second best performance on the album. And given that she handled two instruments so expertly, I'm going to give Lita the three votes for best on ground. So you're always the one that tallies up the votes for us. I don't know if you've done it here, but uh, be interesting. I'm working on it. Yeah. Maybe. Give me one second. Pop it in the show notes. Or you, oh, you're going to do it now? Yeah, I can do it right now. you got I the spreadsheet up and running. I need, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just need you to talk through this for a second. All right. Um, Talk about where does it rank? Where does oh, yeah, where does it rank? rank? This is the clearly their worst, the worst of the four albums. Uh, so the the top, t- the first two albums were were excellent, highly recommended, and uh, they're the two that I actually purchased, and um, so they'll sit with pride among my CD collection. The last two had their moments, um, but they were increasingly few and far between. So. Um, yeah, look, I'm glad we did it. Like, there's still value in this. In, in mm. and and it was there was a kind of morbid. I, I had a kind of morbid fascination as I listened to this and realised what was happening to the band at the time. Yeah, and just like this is what a band that's dying puts out. Like the the dying gargle of a uh, 
of a rock band um, with that with that mighty roar at the end just to sort of see them off, which was black leather. So I uh, agree with you yeah. about where it's placed. I, it was better than it was better though for than waiting for the night. Really? Right? No. Did you put it last? I put it last. Oh, I thought it was better than waiting for the night. Uh, no. Maybe I liked the Joan Jett stuff on this album better than Waiting for the Night. Black Leather was probably better than anything on Waiting for the Night. Uh, maybe that's it. Maybe that's what I used to bump it up. Yeah. Consistently, neither album was great. No. So uh, Yeah, so anyway. Um, all right, here we go. The... <laughs> it's close. It was close, actually. Had I... And I, I uh, all right, here we go. The number three all-time... Yes. For all four albums was Sandy West. Third with, best. Third best with eight points. Uh, she edged out Sherry Curie, but she'd been around longer. Mm. Um, second best, here we go. Second best was Lita Ford. Mm. And she had 15 points. And Joan Jett was first best with 16 points. Oh, closer than you. Right. Closer than you. Had I changed, like, and I had wrestled with, I had Lita Ford in my top spot first and then switched it. Mm. But you seemed to be going contrary, so yeah, I probably would have switched it if I this this might this might have turned out the same regardless. Probably, (laughs) yeah. Oh, good to know. Well, I'm sure they'll be happy to know that. uh, Um, and yeah, I mean, look, those two are the they're the two icons that sort of went on to have their own careers after that. So it's no surprise. Are we surprised that Sherry Curie didn't have more of a career? I kind of am. I feel like she was, while it was happening, I felt like she was the icon. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I think she's still, I think she kind of is still involved in music. I think she she kind of still tours little clubs and stuff, you know. Am I surprised? I don't know if I'm surprised, but I really think the band lost a lot once she left. I mean... Her voice was just so interesting, like and, and well, like, remember like how deep her voice was, like how yeah, um, how strong, how powerful, and yeah, I think the band kind of lost something. And I know they had sort of those difficulties of trying to who's going to sing the next song and the, and the clashes that they had, um, which were a big part of the band's story, I suppose. I did watch uh, a film that was made by. Um, what's the bass player's name or the nominal bass player's name on this album? Vicky, Vicky Blue? Vicky Blue? Yeah, so she made yeah. an album called Edge Play, which was about, and where she interviewed all the different band members except Joan Jett, who's always been the one who um, is a bit more reluctant to share her v- stories of the Runaways. But it, uh, She's also the one who won't tell tales. Yeah. Which is, she's very sort of, it's kind of like she just locked it up. Yeah. Put this part of her career somewhere and then that's that. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. And that, and so, but this Edge play was really interesting, I thought, and, and well worth a watch. There's also been a feature film of The Runaways, which I think the people that made that were kind of watched this Edge play thing and, and then were inspired by it. But a big part of what they were talking about in Edge play was just, the different visions that the different band members had and it was pulling them in all directions. So Joan Jett 
sort of had this sort of glammy influence and she loved, you know, that, that Slade cover that she did on this one. And there was that sort of, she had this sort of stompy glam uh, influenced rock and roll. And then you've got the more metal stuff from Lita Ford and, and you've got producers pulling them in different rec- directions as well. So, yeah, they never really resolved that and it kind of, in the end, tore them apart, hmm. which is, you know, sad in a way, but it's also part of their legacy and their legend is is this sort of tumultuous, short-lived career that's kind of, if anything, amplified their legacy. Um, but thank you. Thank you, Scott, for, uh, as always, chatting through the career brief but uh explosive career of of the runaways it's been it's been a blast yeah no i've enjoyed this mm. and, uh, uh, and thank you go go say thank you to listener as well yeah and uh joining thank, us of course of course thank you and thanks as always to um small stone and seven planets for the music in the opening and closing part of the song the so the uh the album is called explorer the track is called vanguard uh and the band is seven planets look it up you'll find it on Bandcamp. uh small stone have a, a website as well where you can find the sort of hard copies um please uh listener show notes you can find those on our website and uh, all our past episodes are there as well, unshuffledpod.com. If you want to get in touch with us, please do. We'd love to hear from you through our Twitter. Um, what do you call it? Our Twitter page, at unshuffledpod is the is the handle. Listen to me being all uh, social media savvy. <laughs> <laughs> and we've, we've got email as well, unshuffledpod at gmail. Dot com, so you can contact us through those channels. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, all right, so listeners, there's plenty of ways you can get it. Go get your hands on Paul Bearer and listen to it thoroughly and then come back and, and check in with us as we talk you through it next time. Thanks, everyone. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you.